0: drugs and spirituality with Sydney Delorean I'm Sydney Delorean and I'm here back with hashtag fan favorite Challenger Scott McNulty <laughs> how's it going Scott
1: it's going good it's uh it's a pleasure to be here um, hashtag team Scott
0: that's right um, as we know Zach has uh, pledged his allegiance to team Scott and uh, that's that's a pretty powerful vote to a, wi- have a wise you. choice yeah. he
1: made, yeah.
0: Well, he does know how to pick them. He picked me, and he picked you, so.
1: I mean, if I were Rob Love right now, I'd be shitting my pants.
0: He might be doing that anyways. I don't yeah. know what he's doing up there in the great white north, but I know his underwear might not be so white right now.
1: And I just would like to add that, uh, you know, I said it's a pleasure to be here, and I do sincerely mean it's a pleasure to be here in the studio. I feel like, you know, the fact that I make the extra effort to arrive, you know, at the studio in person, uh, says a lot about my character. Are you accusing
0: Rob Love of just phoning it in?
1: Um, I mean, I'm not mentioning any names. I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, cast aspersions against, uh, certain people from the Northwest, uh, United States, but, um, you know, I mean, there's there's people that show up, and there's people that don't. And I'm gotcha. a guy that shows up, so...
0: Gotcha. That is true. Yeah. Um, we don't even know if Rob Love is a real person, because I've never seen him.
1: We can't know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, someone once asked me once, when I used to work in, in tech support, and I was doing a chat, you know, online, and someone asked me once, are you a robot? And I said, no. Or right, I typed, no, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> and that did elicit some LOLs from that customer. <laughs> but, I mean, I have not heard uh, any such proclamations from uh, anyone else who may or may not have been on this show. So, uh, you know, we just don't know what we're dealing with. That's
0: you know. true. That is true.
1: Probably a Russian bot would be my be my guess.
0: I'm willing to believe it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, well... <laughs>
1: But enough of enough of that. <laughs> We're gonna
0: circle back around to this. It's never. It's it's a rivalry that's never gonna die.
2: Ah,
1: never.
0: Uh, by the way, Zach thinks it's all ridiculous, and he has he has no understanding of why why we would want to have uh, conflicts. And I said to yeah. hype the show.
1: Well, as as someone who doesn't speaking of myself as someone who doesn't understand uh, sports at all. Yeah, mm. I can I can relate. I, I've never have quite understood. Yeah. <laughs> random competitions or rivalries have never made sense to me like why do we hate this town i don't get
2: (laughs) zach pointed
0: out to me that i never fight with him in real life but when i'm a guest on his podcast i fight with him and he's like why do you do that i go it's intrigue
2: yeah (laughs)
1: listeners
0: love the drama
1: crossfire I just referenced a 20-year-old CNN Jew, <laughs> um, I, <love laughs> I don't it. think it's on anymore. <laughs> and none of my listeners are old enough to remember that.
0: Um, I, on the Kanye West's church episode, um, Ben James uh, so sweetly said, I- I'm sorry, uh, I got to ask, what's TRL? <laughs> and I had to explain to him the MTV show from oh, the early 2000s. Yeah. And then I felt very old.
1: See, and in that case, TRL is actually, that's too young a reference for me, because oh. even I am like, I think I've heard of that, but... Is that yeah. Total Request Live? Yeah. Okay. Was that Carson Daly's show? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 All right. Um. All right. Had to, had to reach back into my... 20s. Yeah, for that. Yeah, you were
0: busy. Uh, you you could go to bars and and touch boobs, so it wasn't that big of a deal to you. I stopped
1: I stopped watching MTV when I was like 16. Mm -hmm. So then that's when it started to turn into just reality shows and game shows. Yeah, weird. Yeah,
0: and it still is. Yeah. Mm. Um. All right. So that today we're gonna do a show, uh, talking about a book that you read that I read that I thought was really good, um, which. Guys, Scott has the best book recommendations. I'm reading a different book right now that he lent me. You're welcome. Um, so Scott read this book called Dispatches from Pluto. Indeed. And he said he's because he knows me in real life, again, not, IRL. <laughs> not um not throwing stones at anyone. Uh he said, I think you would enjoy this book. And uh, I very much did because Scott and I are restless souls, I think mm. both of us.
1: <laughs> and, indeed.
0: And so um, we read a lot about uh, people who travel or pe- di- like different ways of life or living because then you can have that fantasy like, oh, could I could I move to this place and live this way or
1: yeah, it's it's nice to read about places that you uh, might want to go to or I find, it's nice to read about places that I never will or want to go to mm-hmm. just to confirm that I don't want to go there. Yeah. it's yeah. That's
0: that's how I know that I don't ever need to go to Burning Man.
1: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: And when we talk about Burning Man, people who are burners, that was in quotes because yeah. I can't treat it like a real thing. Yeah. They are the type of person who think, oh, if you don't like it or aren't, aren't interested in it, it's because you don't really understand. And if I keep explaining it to you, Hmm. then you will want to go. To which I say, I have read, I read a whole book about a guy's experience with Burning Man. I also went to art school for 14 years where the whole department shuts down every year for Burning Man because half the staff is there. Oh God. Like I understand (laughs) Burning Man thoroughly and i've read enough to know not for me but then people just keep going
1: that's my uh i have the same problem with people who smoke weed like you you are not like basically if you're talking to someone who's a weed enthusiast you're not they you're not allowed to not like weed they're just like oh no you you just haven't had the right strain how many times have i heard that in my life
0: yeah and you're like i don't how many unpleasant experiences do I have to have until you will accept that there isn't a strain out there that I want?
1: Yeah, I just don't like it, dude. It's not for me. I love how, like, uh, God bless alcoholics. Like, they, mm-hmm. they're not like, you, you can say to an alcoholic or anyone that just drinks, be like, yeah, I just don't like tequila, whatever. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Or like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because there's other things to drink, right? You know, yeah. you can be like, oh, yeah, I, I'm not a big beer fan. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I just, you drink spirits or whatever. You know, but with weed, it's like, no, man, (laughs) you got to like weed. (laughs) I'm like, no, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like what it does to me. Uh, And that's and and I've eaten it. I've smoked it. I've vaped it.
0: You've done all the it.
1: I've done all the it's. Not for you. I mean, not for me. It's not my drug of choice. Yeah. By any means. I don't I don't I don't care for it.
0: Yeah, I don't. I'm going to get my weed card at the end of this month. Um, but that's for medical reasons
1: yeah and I should say that I'm fully for I'm 100 for the legalization yeah. of it I think it's ridiculous that it is an illegal substance it's just not for me
0: yeah no I get it look yeah. I, I don't particularly like being high um because I have uh if anyone listens to decency with delorean they know that I have some medical problems and I need surgery and so I have some pain issues hmm. and um, I don't particularly like being high on weed, but um I it's more tolerable for managing pain uh for me than opiates. Those I find like pretty unpleasant. So um because we have medical weed here, I'm like maybe yeah I'll go get my weed card before I have surgery. Um because I did that before when I had Crohn's disease surgery. Um just to be like uh instead of taking opiates I can do this while I recover. I don't fucking know. Um, but then people think I'll, I'm cool because I got my weed cut.
1: oh you're cool oh
0: yeah. yeah totally
1: well also I mean you're cool because you know you're here in the studio that's, I mean, that, that's I, what makes someone really cool is being here in the studio people that show up yeah. you know, so.
0: Um, okay so reading books about places
1: yeah, so uh, I should. We should also mention the author of said tome is Richard Grant. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read any of Richard Grant's work, uh, he has, I think, five published books, all nonfiction. Uh, all are concerned with uh, with travel. He's what I would classify as a travel writer, I guess, but not in the sense of like writing travel books on here's things to see in Cambodia. Like he actually immerses himself uh, in these worlds. And uh, and does quite a few uh, dangerous and highly questionable activities in certain areas, uh, but for this book that we're talking about, he actually moved himself. He's an English lad, he's British, but he has lived in uh, he's, he actually lived here in Arizona for I think ten years. Yeah. So let's yeah. Ba- uh, let's <clears throat>
0: back it up. So he this wasn't his first book that you read.
1: Uh, correct. Yeah. It's so, it's his latest book actually.
0: So, um. Yeah. So he's a travel would you say journalist? I don't He's a journal
1: he's a travel journalist, yeah.
0: And so you have read other books of his and when he writes his books he goes and he lives somewhere for like 6 months or Correct. whatever. Correct. Yeah. Um and yeah, he's English and has a history of living here because his girlfriends from Tucson. Yes. Um and then where 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 are the other places he's written about before he wrote about Mississippi?
1: Uh he spent uh I think close to a year living in the Sierra Madre region of Mexico, which encompasses actually three Mexican states. It's uh it's a very very dangerous part of Mexico. It's there's like state department advisories against urging Americans not to go there not oh. to go to this area. It's where uh drug cartels operate. It's where they basically have their headquarters. Is uh,
0: that central or northern Mexico?
1: It is actually uh just be- it's a a little ways below us in Arizona. So the Sierra Madre's are a mountain range that's kind of in western it's western Mexico, okay. a, but a little further south like lo- the lower part of Sonora. And then Durango, and uh, I can't remember what the other state is that, it... but um, yeah, it's highly, it's essentially lawless. There's no, there's no, you know, the police have no power there. Uh, yeah. They're just owned by the cartels, and there's a lot of violence because the cartels fight each other, and they don't care who gets killed in the crossfire. So, uh, oh. so he lived there for uh, maybe six months to a year, something like that. And the the book he wrote is called God's Middle Finger, uh-huh. and it's about that that region. He did almost get killed in the book, and that's when he just finally decided to leave. <laughs> uh,
0: did his girlfriend live there with him?
1: No, okay. uh, but I think he was with his girlfriend at the time, who was living in Tucson, which is where he was living, you know. Yeah. So. Um, well, I'll
0: have to read that one. Yeah,
1: um, and then he wrote a book about. Um, he lived in East. Out. A- he spent a, like three or four months in East Africa, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote a book called Crazy River there and uh it was in Rwanda just after the genocide that happened there and he was in Burundi and uh another country I don't recall
0: okay so he is used to different ways of living and not having like basically a cush life right yeah
1: he's done a lot of sleeping outside and you know uh like war reporting stuff like that He, he does any kind of any kind of reporting that like you know, puts someone in a, in dangerous situations. So.
0: Okay. Which is, that's a good explanation because like certain people have like a level of comfort that they don't like to step outside of, yeah. but like he has a pretty open comfort level. Um
1: Yeah. He's like, he, he's like the, you know, I would describe him as like a mountain climber personality where he's like, you know, I'm not afraid to do that thing that, you know, a sane person wouldn't do, you know. <laughs> So (laughs) Um,
0: which brings us to the opening of dispatches on Pluto and the way that I describe it to people is the book opens and he's an Englishman girlfriends from Tucson, Arizona, but they've been living in New York for a while. Yeah. And he's depressed. She's depressed. The dog is depressed. (laughs) The dog is depressed. (laughs) And um, because. New York is just a different lifestyle. Like,
1: very confining.
0: It's very confining and almost oppressive. And people either love it Mm -hmm. because there are people who, like, they can't sleep if they don't have the sounds of the city. That becomes like. Yeah. Of, yeah, like... They're... Traffic
1: and sirens and... Yeah. Gunfire. And, <laughs>
0: and then there are other people who are like, how can you sleep with all this stuff going on? I just want to hear, like, the cicadas. Yeah. Um. And so he goes down to Mississippi for some sort of event. Um He's yeah. friends with a cookbook or author who lives down there. Yes. And she's like, let me give you a tour of the Delta. Yeah. And so... They take off and she kind of gives them a tour and they end up at this house and she's saying, oh, and he's like, oh, my God, this house is so beautiful. Yeah. And she's like, well, it's my daddy's. He's selling it if you're interested. And he thinks uh, he's already his brains going, "Uh, where can I get four hundred thousand dollars? I need this house. (laughs) I love this house. And she goes, he's got it listed at one sixty, but you could probably get it for one (laughs) thirty.
1: Yeah, and it's in a very rural part of Mississippi called Pluto, uh, which is why it's, the book is Dispatches from Pluto. So, and it's yeah, there's really nothing out there. It's like an old plantation house.
0: Yeah, and there's there's so many levels to it that uh, we can get to where just like living in history and watching like buildings, like historical buildings, be swallowed and reclaimed by the earth. Yeah, and like. But he's thinking, OK, like, oh, my God, it's only one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. And so he goes back to New York and he's telling the girlfriend and she's mm. like, oh, well, we can try. <laughs> and he's trying to get a loan in New York. Here he is. He's a published author. He has books under his belt. Yeah. But he can't get a loan because he doesn't have a steady job and income. Yeah, a nine
1: to five job. Yeah. And
0: so no no banker in New York will give him a loan to buy this house in Mississippi. Um, and he goes back to Mississippi on a trip and, um, a banker down there is like, oh, you're trying to buy that house. You know what? I will, if the bank won't approve it down here, I'll personally like approve the loan. Mm. Um, he, and he says this area has a, a rich history of authors and like. It would be so great to have another writer in, in the neighborhood, basically.
1: Yeah. And what's even more amazing is the guy he's trying to buy the house from at one point says, I'll lend you the money to buy my house. Yes. Which is crazy. And this, I think, speaks very highly of Southern hospitality. And yeah. <laughs> and uh and who is the guest that you, the lovely young lady you had on recently? Alex. The, Alex, Yeah. Uh, who she talked about southern hospitality and this entire book is filled with examples of of extreme southern hospitality. Well, it's extreme to us, but it's like normal to them.
0: Yeah. And it's all it's I mean, it is just a a blast from the past. Like no one in Phoenix has operated like that in close to 100
2: years. (laughs) Right. If
1: ever, if they ever did. yeah.
0: Yeah. Of just saying like, oh, you know what? It would really enrich our community to have a writer. I like you. You seem like a good person. Yeah. Based on that, I'm going to approve a loan. Like not based on let me let me run the numbers. Let me
2: check yeah.
1: your
0: credit. Blah blah blah. Like no, listen. You, you see, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so
1: they get the house and they move from New York City to rural rural Mississippi, and it's a bit of both a culture shock and a uh, a landscape shock because it's. It's exceptionally verdant down there in Mississippi. Everything grows all the time.
0: Yes. uh, And I think, well, first of all, what was the deal where, like, someone came by to cut the lawn and was like, we're going to cut your lawn until you get settled in or whatever? Oh,
1: yeah. It was like one of his neighbors, like, just hired a guy to go and and mow his grass for him for, like, three months or something. He basically prepaid. Mm -hmm. and, And that was just like a gift from you know a then unknown neighbor, like, oh no, we're just gonna cut your lawn for you. Yeah, welcome yeah. to the neighborhood. Yeah, so we're um, talking. This is a huge amount of land too. Like this is you know, it's it's a big it's a big yard. Yeah, <laughs> they
0: have uh, I forget how many acres it was, but it's like marked off by like the stream here and the yeah. whatever there um, the bayo. <laughs> and I think they realize when you when you're a, a like a city dweller, you think you have a handle on life. And yeah. then if you move out more to nature, you're just like, I don't have any skills. Yeah, I don't
1: know anything about anything. Yeah, uh,
0: they get they <laughs> get there, and yeah, they realize, okay, we got to watch out for gators and snakes, and because we've got the dog that's running around. Yeah. And um, initially, like he, their his girlfriend was a vegetarian, and he isn't, but he's not really a hunter, and he doesn't want to kill things. Yeah. And the neighbors are like super welcoming about like we got to teach you how to do stuff yeah and he's like yeah i really didn't want to kill animals but by like the third time i twisted my ankle stepping in an armadillo hole yeah <laughs> I, I realized oh i do have to shoot like i gotta kill these snakes i gotta kill these armadillos like just yeah. to maintain my lawn so that i can leave my house yeah i'm gonna need to kind of up my toughness or my skills
1: yeah and the I the the part of the book that stuck with me the most that I made quite an impression on me was the the part where he actually you know learns how to hunt Mm -hmm. and then goes out and eventually kills a deer and then you know he and his wife you know cook and eat it and uh I thought it was because you know I I've hunted one time in my life uh, when I was 17 my stepdad who was a big hunter was like you know do you want to come elk hunting with me and here in Arizona, it's a lottery system. You have to like put in for it and you may or may not get drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I think I agreed to it because I figured out oh, what are the odds I'm going to get drawn. Well, I got drawn <laughs> yeah. and so did my stepdad. So like we, you know, went up there we, we went somewhere up Northern Arizona, you know, for a day with some other guy and like, you know, walked around and found a herd of elk and then I ended and I shot a, a cow elk, a female and, uh. It was traumatizing for me. Oh, really? Yeah, did not like it at all. A deeply upsetting, yeah, <laughs> experience for me. So, um, and my dad, my stepdad, shot an elk too at the same time, and uh, so we had like tons of elk meat. Um, you know, we had it professionally butchered, and you know, you get all this meat, and then we gave a lot of it. My parents gave a lot of it away to neighbors and friends because you can't eat all of it, you know. And, uh, but there was something satisfying afterwards when like my mom would like make chili or she would, you know, make hamburgers out of it, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, like we provided this meat, like we didn't have to go to the store, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and, uh, so when Richard Grant describes, you know, shooting a deer and his neighbor who taught him how to hunt is there and he, and he, he can tell by the, the size of the deer, like how old she is and that she probably, had several litters of you know fawns does whatever yeah. <laughs> she had children you know she's lived basically lived a really healthy life she's like been running around eating all this you know vegetation natural vegetation in other words wasn't raised like in a feedlot you mm-hmm. know essentially a captive tortured animal which is how we raise a lot of meat in this country which is awful You know, and uh, it's like, well, what's worse? You know, so and and it made me I I actually said to you a while back before you read the book, I was like, yeah, I think I may have to learn how to hunt again.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, the interesting thing about this. I mean, there's so many different lessons in this book, but one of the things is the developing relationship between themselves and food. So his girlfriend's always had a green thumb, but now they live in a food desert. So they have to garden and maintain their garden to have food Mm -hmm. and they need to learn how to can and freeze and whatever. And that's the same situation with meat because there's no grocery stores around within 50 miles all you're gonna get is maybe a barber shop that sells fritos so like yeah he so the hunting is necessary number one to maintain wildlife population but also to like not starve to death yeah and when you think about eating meat um and we can take this back. I Har- I believe Hare Krishnas don't eat meat at all, mm. but one of their deals is like you want to eat food that has good karma and you they don't really do restaurants because like it's not being cooked with like love. It's yeah, being cooked it, with capitalism. Right. And I I think that that sort of karmic, you know, I don't know, woo-woo about meat goes through to like the the manufacturing, right? Like mm. Science can tell you that, like, a wild deer is healthier to eat than, like, a factory farmed cow. But also, you don't have to be scientifically minded to just go, it's got to have better karma. It's got to be better for you and more nourishing for your body to eat something that has been happy than to eat something that has been scared. Yeah. Like, and that is, like, one of the most hippy-dippy things that I've ever said. But, like. I
1: believe it 100%. Yeah.
0: If you you eat something that has been tortured and had a terrible life. Yeah. There's no way that that can nourish your body the same way that something that has been, like, happy and healthy and been, you know, integrated into the ecosystem. Yeah. That's got to be much more nourishing for you. And yeah. so that's part of what him and his girlfriend discover because she, you know, ends up eating meat again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they build a different relationship to food than I would say 90% of people in America have.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: including myself. I can't fucking garden. Like yeah, I can't. No.
1: I've never grown anything in my life. <laughs> I cannot feed myself from the earth <laughs> in any way. Yeah.
0: Right. I go to sprouts every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. so yeah, that's very interesting. And, and on top of that, then there's the social aspect, right. Of hunting. Yeah. Where the opening of each season, like it's a know, big event. It's yeah. a big event. And, and the ladies go out together and the men go out together and they hunt. And like, I assume that if they had not done that they wouldn't have been as accepted into society as they right. were.
1: Yeah, I think it was key for them to engage in those social rituals that mm-hmm. the way they did and that it, it, they you know it's kind of a way of returning the the courtesies that they were shown when, upon their arrival, you know, is like if they just shut themselves in their house and be like well, we're not going to integrate with with the society, you know, we're going to look down on you as a bunch of hillbillies and rednecks, you know. Oh, I hope I use those terms correctly. Alex will challenge me. <laughs> I, but, my, <laughs> my notes are in the other room of uh, what the category is. Yeah, yeah, but um but you know, they didn't. They were actually very much, you know, kind of like, you know, they they were I think a little bit nervous in some areas, but they were like, "Ah, eh, whatever, give it a shot." So
0: I think the Richard Grant and his girlfriend had the best attitude to approaching this is, these are the people who travel well, who travel internationally. Well is instead of coming to the table rigid in your own customs and traditions is that you arrive to wherever you're going with an open mind to follow the lead of the locals. Yeah. And like, it's something that I think about a lot, especially Zach and I watch a lot of 90 day fiance and all the (laughs) spinoffs. And there's, um, there's, a sh- there's one called The Other Way where people move to other countries to yeah. be with someone. And then they have Before the 90 Days where these people are going <coughs> overseas to like meet people and see what it's like. And so we're getting to see people going to uh, the Philippines and Thailand. And mm. they're like these beautiful places, but they're being told like you didn't eat that pig that my family barbecued that was so rude of you. I'm devastated. Or like, what do you mean you're not going to eat this hard boiled egg with the formed duckling inside of it? Yeah. And the, the Americans who don't eat those things are being treated like you are so rude and stuff. And like, I get it because it's disrespecting local cultures and it's something that I feel I've never traveled internationally and Mm. I feel like I would struggle with because like, I don't wanna eat that fucking pig and I don't yeah. wanna eat that <laughs> duckling. Like and yeah. so um the people I think who travel well are people like Richard Grant and his girlfriend who are just like, listen, this is not what we're used to, but we're not gonna say that. We're not gonna show yeah. our hesitation. We are going to go along with the people who this is their home. Yeah. Um and so yeah, they do I think they do a really good job of that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and as far as I know, I mean, they still live in Mississippi. They actually stayed there, so um, which is cool. Because in, a, in, that, in that sense, too, because I've read all of his books uh, so far, is this book is very different from his other ones because this wasn't just a travel, uh, a journey. He actually moved there. He's mm-hmm. like, is, you know, this is my new home and, and I have to make it work. We have to make a go of it, you know. And it's their first time owning a home as well, I think, for either one of them. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot at stake. It's their first time living in the in the South and a lot of first times.
0: Well, know. and you don't know at the beginning of the book, their first night in this new home, they're covered in mosquito welts. Yeah. And <laughs> they, are, they put a mosquito net over their bed in their house that it doesn't – it's a it's – a, old plantation home it doesn't have central air yeah and so they're hot and they're all bitten up and they he says we, you know they're just drinking bourbon on the rocks yeah <laughs> to like help numb the bites so yeah. they can fall asleep and you're kind of wondering like is the stress of adjusting to this going to tear them apart because yeah. like That is really easy when you are like that uncomfortable and struggling that hard that it's very easy for a relationship to deteriorate.
1: I I, I was amazed that things turned out the way they did uh, by the end of that book, because Mm -hmm. you could easily see uh, some of the early struggles they went through. You could easily see like her saying, like, what did you get me into? You dragged me down. You know, you took me into this. <laughs> you yeah. know, you know it was, like, bad enough that, you know, they left Arizona, they went to New York, and they didn't like that. They were unhappy there. And then they went... It was You know, another thing that I do admire about both of them is that it would have been a lot easier for them to say, we're not happy in New York, let's go back to Arizona. Mm-hmm. To But to do a whole new thing, to be like, well, let's try this, I mean, that's not the thing I would have done, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's... um a lot it's he is not like wealthy by any stretch of the imagination mm. so like right. uh spoiler alert nobody's wealthy anymore but also yeah. people who have several books published are not wealthy are <laughs> not wealthy and so a lot of people myself included will be like well i can't just like take a gamble on something new because yeah I, i'm not in the financial position to be like i'm going to drop like you know 10 grand to relocate what if i hate it yeah but so it was kind of a brave move to be like she's just wrapping up graduate school yeah um he doesn't have a ton of money and just to like go well let's
1: yeah exactly go on this ride yeah i admire them both so much Mm -hmm. Uh, i i'm really impressed by uh uh i read all of his books I just discovered this writer. Uh, a friend of mine recommended him to me. The first book I read of his was the Mexican one, uh, God's Middle Finger, and I I devoured that so quickly that I immediately was like, "What other books has he written?" So I read all of his books in the span of three months.
0: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: and because I was just such a fan of his attitude of like, "Well, I will see what happens. Let's give this a shot," you know? Yeah. You know, because I need more of that in my own life. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a very cautious overthinking person you know
0: i yeah i can see that with you (laughs) yeah i mean i i have similar tendencies because i think in my youth i was so reckless yeah and that i had a hard pivot where i became maybe overly cautious and now i'm working my way back towards a middle ground yes um so one of the things i want to talk about in the book um in relation to the south uh, and what makes uh, Richard Grant, I and I'm so sorry, I forget his girlfriend's name. I know they're listening, and this is very rude. I actually can't remember her name either. <laughs> um, but uh, is, so, I have a lot of, like, I don't know what would per- be perceived, I think, in the South as like rude city person tendencies. Yeah. Like, I don't like to stop and chat. Yeah. you Are you ever at a grocery store and you see someone you like kind of know? Yeah. Like, yep. And you're just <laughs> like, is there any way I can get out of here yep. without talking to them? And <laughs> Absolutely. D- yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Me I, too. <laughs> I, pretend I, it's, I mean, I know too many people because I yeah. work in customer service, you know, in yeah. Phoenix. But like, yeah, I. And so. I'm, like, rude in that way where, like, I don't want to stop and chat with strangers or people who I just, like, kind of know. And um, they do a really good job of, like, a guy comes over to be like, hey, I'm looking for work. Like, I do this or that. And he'll spend a couple hours on the porch talking to that guy, getting to know him. And then the guy will be like, well, you know, whatever. You can come over, have dinner with me and my mom. And, like, they go. Yeah. (laughs) And... I think I'm a little bit more uh, walled off in yeah. a city person way,
1: <laughs> but uh, I also think that that's what makes him one that's kind of his job as a writer. Mm-hmm. so uh, which I think is also really cool because if you get to the point where he's at where you're like, I don't have a day job. I just write full- time. you
0: c- you kind of can just hang yeah. out all day with people. and, and you sort of have to yeah. because
1: that's where you get your material from. like that's how he generates, you know, income for himself mm-hmm. and and material is like, well, Instead of like you know we you and I have places a place that we have to be every day right it's yeah. like I got to be here from and then I my our free time is limited so we guard it jealously I am yeah, yeah. I am super
0: <clears throat> rigid about abuse of my free time yeah me because too because I feel like I'm on somebody else's time too much of my waking hours right so I guess that's true is that <clears throat> being social is not only not interrupting with his work but it's kind of imperative to it
1: yeah. But um, uh, but it's it's kind of one of those chicken egg situations, because how does a, a person like that became a writer, obviously, because he's that kind of person anyway. Yes. You know what I mean? Like he like he obviously he's an explorer, not just of places, but of people. You know?
0: Yes. And which helps him meet all these great characters. Yeah. Um, And this is how I'm not good at reading like wrote history novels right but when i'm reading a novel uh like about a person's journey and then history is interspersed with it Mm -hmm. um that is helpful and that is like a lot of what he does is he meets people and they they're telling him their family history and how it intersected with like famous events in mississippi because spoiler alert uh mississippi not a great history yeah (laughs) um mississippi goddamn uh so he is meeting all these people with like their tie-ins or um and their perspectives of historical events like he stops one day on the side of the road to like reassess his directions he thinks he's lost yeah and some guy drives by and thinks like Oh, like are you, you're a sightseer because I'm trying to remember he he it's a, he's at a house where mm. some black guy had sex with a white girl and ended up being like drug out and hung, like, and so, oh yeah, and lynched so, yeah. Lynched. And so like the guy was like, Oh yeah, well you know that's where that colored fella got himself in trouble. Yeah. And Richard Grant was like, "Oh no, I didn't even know that's I know that event. I didn't yeah. know that this was the house that the guy lived at or whatever." Yeah. And um and so yeah, it's interesting because um it, I don't know. He's like it's living history in the shadow of the yeah. past.
1: Yeah, there's like a weird um kind of like trap like tragedy tourism (laughs) like tragedy tourism that happens down there because there's been so many terrible things that have happened uh to you know uh african americans in mississippi (laughs) in Uh particular that there are people that actually go there to like see where those events occurred because it's like a history lesson you know and um Which is weird
0: because, okay, if you go anywhere in New England and you go on some fucking founding fathers tours, like when I was in Boston a couple months ago, I followed (laughs) along part of, like, a walking tour because Boston has this, like, red brick tour that walks you through some Mm. historical sites. But, like, you're living in a modern city that happens to be on the same earth that these events took place in. Yeah. So people, if you go on that, like, tragedy tourism (laughs) of Mississippi, it's kind of, like, you know, people who are from outside of the South and are like, we want to see America's tragic history. But they don't realize that, like, it's not that same way where you're in a modern city on top of a bad history, but, like, that bad history is still active. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If that makes sense? (laughs) Yeah. Where, like, there are, like, seg... There are... It's known there's, like, uh, counties that, like, if you're black, you don't drive through. Yeah. Because bad things are going to happen. Like, and so... Uh, I I can't imagine how many tourists have been scared where they drive in their Prius and are like, mm. we're going to we're going to learn American <laughs> history. And then they're like, oh, this is still like dark and scary. Yeah. And like the, the racial divide is still that tense. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to be an interracial couple seen in this city. Yeah. Um, yeah. America
1: yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting, and there's a. What I didn't know is the uh, uh, amazing music history of Mississippi. So oh, yeah. I, I didn't realize that the blues really. You know, I always knew the blues was a Southern thing, but I didn't realize it's specifically a Mississippi-born. Uh-huh tradition and that it's like uh it's a major thing down there so there's a lot of uh, blues tourists as well
0: which is really cool um there's he goes to all these like old juke joints and he comments on how it's sad that like the blues is this living art form mm. but um it's all it, old white men that go there yeah <laughs> yeah it's not um it's which makes it feel even more touristy you know um yeah. and then he gets to know some old blues guys and they're all, you know, dying in poverty, which is always sad because yeah. it's like these people are flying over from England to see these heroes of theirs play, and these are people who are destitute. Yeah. And that's all I mean, it's just always sad. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, totally, totally different arena, but like professional wrestling and like all these <laughs> old guys who are like heroes. Yeah. And they need to get hip and shoulder replacements because they wore them out doing the sport and they're living in poverty and yeah. you know they'll do crowdfunding and stuff to help pay for like a, a surgery Yeah, um, because yeah it's just weird to think that you can be here a hero to people and not financially comfortable it's that's a bummer
1: yeah it's like these blues legends that he meets and some of them are you know living really on the margins and it made me think of like well yeah it's just like um like Vincent van Gogh like dying in poverty you know and Paul Gauguin like all these guys I feel like you know a lot of artists like one human life is not enough time for people to catch on to what you're doing yeah. you know what I mean so like you're not going to it's not going to end well for you but your legacy is going to be strong yeah. but it's but that's small comfort to someone who's you know living a miserable existence you know in in old age and illness Yeah I don't I don't yeah. like
0: that but um I guess um Oh, my gosh. Who's the guy, the actor who owns a blues club out there?
1: Oh, Morgan Freeman? Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he meets Morgan Freeman while he's, yes. yeah, because he's from Mississippi. I didn't know that either until I read that book.
0: And he yeah. now lives there. Yeah. And um, he owns a blues club out there. And he ends up, uh, Richard Grant ends up uh, joining the country club that Morgan Freeman golfs at.
1: Yeah. And they uh, hang out. They're kind of, they kind of become buddies. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I love that he's like expecting like, oh, it's just like, g- it's a country club. It's going to be super stately. And all these <laughs> people who are kind of a big deal Yeah. go there and he gets there and it's just like a musty clubhouse with like yeah. a help yourself bar and some old tables and it's morgan freeman and like some other fi- like you know film investor guy and he's like yeah there's like normal dudes like we just kind of hang out pour yeah. ourselves some whiskey and golf um which i appreciate all that like because all the people in this book um that he meets and interacts with are like normal fucking people yeah like no one's putting on airs yeah like come on in sit down like he like he goes to a bar that sells like budweiser and like basically like a grain alcohol yeah these are your options (laughs) yeah this is it you you drink it like (laughs) and i i like that because i feel like sometimes people make life more complicated than it needs to be well
1: yeah and, and our urban american lifestyle is filled with like you know 18 million craft beers and you know Uh, artisanal uh, cocktails and all this shit and you're just like god like like, shut the fuck up already (laughs) you know I mean it's just
0: (laughs) I had a friend years ago who like this was after I quit drinking but it was like a group of friends where sometimes I'd go to bars with them and I reached a point where I was like I can't I can't go to bars with you anymore because this the one dude in the group watching him order a beer was the worst fucking thing in the entire world yeah it was like he had to taste three of them three of them and go "Mm, um that one's a little hoppier and i'm like here's the deal you're fucking you're gonna have six beers tonight yeah so why don't you get one you drink it and if you don't if if it wasn't quite right yeah you order a different one Like, you are taking 10 fucking minutes to order a beer, and I am losing my shit. Yeah, It just isn't – when people have their lives are so comfortable, they're so leisurely that you can hem and haw over, oh, well, this one comes from, you know, this uh, city's brewery, and they do it this way with that. I don't –
2: Yeah,
1: I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. Maybe
0: that is fascinating to some people. I do not give a – Fuck. <laughs> I am a no frills person. I am a Motel 6 subway sandwich type yeah. of gal. Give me a pair of Levi's and a white T-shirt. I am happy. And so <laughs> I liked that about the people in this book that there was not a lot of frills going on. Yeah. Um. You go to a place, you get the food like yeah. a lot of like it's just there's too many fucking options cluttering people and they think it matters you and i both know people who have to yelp and scroll through photos Mm -hmm. of multiple restaurants before deciding where to eat
1: yes and
0: i'm always like you are gonna eat more meals in your life you are acting like you are deciding on your last supper and this is 100% one hundred percent, not the last meal you're gonna eat. It's probably not the last meal you're gonna have today, because I know you're doing two dinners.
1: People plan meals as if they're planning their wedding nowadays. Oh, you yes. Know what I, yeah, and I'm like, what is your fucking problem, dude? Just eat us. This is. So I just came back from Florida. I was visiting my my sister and brother-in-law. Well, really, I was taking a vacation, but they just happened to be there because they are. Uh, in a good place uh-huh. financially, and they have, uh, in addition to a lovely home, they have a beach house, which is uh, on New Smyrna Beach, Florida, uh, shark bite capital of the world, by the way. Hey, hey! <laughs> and um, so I spent five days uh, uh, thereabouts, four days, I guess, uh, at their at their beach house, and it was it was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was laying, I was you know sitting in a in a one of them beach chairs out on the beach. a camping chair or something oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. you know but one that's like low down where your feet are in the water you know
0: that's called a beach chair
1: sure yeah and uh my sister uh god bless her uh but you know she's a very very hospitable host but she also uh you know she lives a certain lifestyle Mm -hmm. so she at one point says like i'm gonna go inside and make some sandwiches for the kids because i have nieces and she's like would you like do you want a sandwich and i was like oh yeah sure yeah i'd love one thanks you know and she's like um what do you want and i'm like whatever you're making you know she's like would you like turkey ham roast beef and i'm like i whatever turkey's fine you me a turkey sandwich she's like okay i have multi-grain bread i have wheat bread i have like oat bread and i'm like i don't i don't care she's like do you want cheese and i go oh yeah yeah throw she's like you want Swiss cheese? Do you want Havarti? Oh, do you want do you want Munster? I'm not making this up. And I finally I was like Teresa, just bring me a goddamn sandwich. I don't fucking care. I'm I'm on the beach. I don't fucking care. Yeah, I'm on <laughs> I'm on yeah. vacation yeah. on the
0: beach. My feet are in the yeah. sand. I do not give a fuck yeah as long as it is not going to give me diarrhea yeah. let bring it on
1: i was like I, I i was like i can't believe that these are the you know and then the next day the very next day she went to do the same thing and again i i she kind of got the got the picture after like the second question on the yeah. second day you know what kind of bread i was like I was like, don't care, bring me as I was like, I will eat whatever you put in my hand. I'm going to eat it. Yeah. I was like, have you ever I'm I'm your brother. You've known me your entire life. Have you ever known me to be picky about food, about sandwiches? You yeah. <laughs> so, oh you know, my gosh. yeah. And uh but, you know, I mean,
0: it's just it's something I think that comes mm. from luxury. Yes. Is having options. Yes. And uh, like if you okay, if you are re decorating your house Mm -hmm. and you have a ton of money you got to look at paint samples you got to do this and that blah 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 if you don't have any money you're like okay this paint was like ten dollars because someone got the color mixed and didn't like it I'll take the green like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's like this is this is my mama's hand-me-down couch yeah perfect yep and it just it almost makes life simpler when you don't have as many options I think they call it the paradox of choice yeah exactly and yeah. so for me I'm not even like interested in a lot of ways in like all the opportunities that could possibly be just give me the sandwich. Yeah. I'm fine. And so I like that the people in this book, it's not like, yeah, it's just, yeah, I'll sit in whatever chair you have. <laughs> I'll ta- you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. And so I, I liked that where a lot of the people they interacted with, I was like, yeah, these are my type of people in a way. Yeah. Um you know obviously not the racists. stop guys i'm not
1: yeah there's some complications uh down there in the south but and uh, it's
0: something that i'm not articulate enough um to like just read the fucking book but yeah it is interesting in the way that he grapples with like he's like i'm i'm told that these people are inherently bad but i'm seeing that they're really good people in this way mm-hmm. and it's it shows the complexities of life that yeah. it's not just like cut and dry.
1: There's an enormous amount. It's a very complex relationship between the races down there, and you can see like how it has evolved over the years and how weird it is, but also how weirdly intimate it is. Um, you know, we tend to think in terms of, uh, well, r- you know, racism, slavery, Jim Crow, all that is obviously bad. So it's just like a like a flat bad, like a like it's mm-hmm. opaque, you know, but actually. And this is hard to say, but there's like some elements of it that were positive in that these two races sort of grew up side by side, and there's some very close individual bonds that exist between these different families that have known each other for centuries. <laughs>
0: it's a lot more intimate of a bond <clears throat> yes. versus like other cities where they had like the housing laws where like bankers wouldn't give loans to people of color. Redlining, and stuff. yeah. They, thank you. Um, and so other cities, um. Which don't have as bad of a reputation in regards to race relation are actually more segregated. Yes. Because we're looking at the entire history of the city involves redlining. And so, you know, black kids and white kids aren't going to school together. They aren't living in the same neighborhoods. They They don't know each other. They they don't don't, see each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I I tried to touch on that, I think, in the episode with... um, about Kanye's church is I was like a lot of people go around thinking like, oh, I'm not racist, but they actually live in a city that's so segregated that they haven't even had their uh, views of race challenged. Right. Because they don't even inter- interact with people of color. Yeah. um And so the the what he learns living in Mississippi is like, allegedly, this is the most racist state. And um, that is. Probably true, but also the races are interacting more than he's used to seeing
1: on a daily basis, yeah, yeah, constantly. And it made me think of my time living in Chicago is a very probably the most racially divided city in America. I mean, it's like cut and dry. The north side is white, the south side is black, the west side is Latino, mm-hmm. and that is it. Like, there's the east side is the lake, so there is no east side, so uh. And people talk about, I used to talk about this all the time, like, oh, Chicago is a very safe city. Like, it's amazing. It's, it's a huge city, but it's so safe. Yeah, it's safe if you're on the north side, the white side, because uh-huh. there's nothing there but white people, and it's all upper uh, income, you know, and um, I struggled financially there because I was, not <laughs> and I was not in that income group. But it's uh-huh. like, you couldn't imagine, like, there was no way I could say, well, I'm going to go live, get an apartment on the south side or the west side because it's cheaper, because I would not be accepted into that yeah. into that neighbor into those neighborhoods, you know what I mean? It'd be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, and same thing goes for like you know people of color trying to go up north to the north side. Uh, and yet, Chicago is the most liberal you know blue state city in the world. Like they're the the city that you know created Obama, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, Obama's from here. Like we're so liberal, but it's like a lot of A lot of white Chicagoans that I know, like you said, they they don't interact with black people or any people of color at all. Mm-hmm in any aspect of their day so it's like i don't really know how you can call yourself a liberal versus these sort of rednecks in mississippi that are constantly interacting with uh people of color every day day in and day out they know their entire families you know Yeah,
0: they're going to each other's funerals yeah you know
1: but there is like some uh some racial bias there on both sides you know that's just inherent you know
0: which at at least it's almost like it's more on the surface yeah it's it's known it's it's clear what the bias is versus in a segregated city yeah um and because i grew so i grew up in um, a suburb of detroit that was by no means like it was m- mostly white but it was fairly integrated like mm. i always had kids of color in my classrooms like yeah. majority of where i'm from is catholic and jewish but yeah um, also large Middle Eastern population, black population, not a lot of Latinos, but like I had teachers of color. I had classmates of color. And um, it was weird to me. I moved out to Arizona at age 13 and we moved to Mesa.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I swear to God, I didn't see like another black person. <laughs> yeah. Except for my stepdad. <laughs> yeah. For 10 years. Yeah. I mean, th- that's just and it's it was really weird for me to get used to. And um, I was just thinking like, it's it's weird that even me at 13, I was like, it's I would tell my friends back home in Michigan. I'm like, yeah, it's weird. Like, I know I'm white, but it's almost like unsettling <laughs> how seg- how segregated this city yeah. is. And it's uh, it's it's just weird. So, yeah, I th- I think um, I don't know. I learned I learned a lot about race relations in the South from this book and that it's a more complex portrait from, you know, what an outsider liberal would be. Yelling, Yeah. Um, because nothing is what it is at face value. Um, yeah. And so um, that was interesting. I'm trying to think of other things that I learned uh, along the way in this book about lifestyle. Because, of course, every time I read something like this, I think like, oh, could I do that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, when my friend, my, I have a friend who lived in Japan for two or three years and was a teacher there. And like, I would go like, could I go? Could I live that way? Could mm. I do, you know? And so... um yeah by the end of this they're pretty they're pretty assimilated they're hunting they're growing yeah (laughs) uh oh the interesting thing so she's a librarian she got her master's and she's driving like 60 miles each day to go work at a small bookstore and they had a book reading um by a gentleman he was like one of the first people to uh integrate a college campus
2: oh yeah. And
0: so I'm and I'm sorry, I forgot his name. So it's so it, did I. it's <laughs> interesting because they're meeting these people that are like living history, like as a reminder for people who think we're in a post-racial world. Yeah. Uh, the fact that like the, these people who like, you know, riot, federal riot police had to go on a college campus to prevent you know, violence when the first black person stepped on campus. Oh yeah. But he's on he's alive. He's on book tours.
1: Yeah. And he's but he's also a major Republican too. Which was weird. That yeah. So the story is always weirder than everything is more complicated than you think it is. You know, yeah, here's this guy, like first black man to go to this college and You'd think. I mean, Richard Grant actually says in the book, he's like, "Yeah, I thought this guy was gonna be a total, you know, progressive Democrat." He's like, "No, like total, total red state Republican." You know, yeah. He's just like, you just don't know, man. It's it's everything is is complicated. And there's some
0: like wild, like local crime cases he follows. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, The
1: weird crimes that occur. The weird. Feuds, these weird Southern feuds that happen down there are bizarre to the point where I, I can't describe them. <laughs>
0: um, when you finished the book, what did you think? Are you ready to move to the South?
1: I was so, uh, yes, I was so ready. In fact, um, I read this book sh- just after I purchased my first home, my the condo I live in here in Phoenix, and I was like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah. I actually have been thinking, you know, since then, like, yeah, eventually I'm going to sell this condo, hopefully at a profit, and uh, and and move to the South. But I will, I will also say this is that when I was five, six and seven years old, uh, we lived in Tennessee, uh, because my dad got transferred there. Uh, he worked for AT&T and they transferred him up there. And those were the happiest years of my childhood. Always have been. I've always relished those memories. I ran around barefoot with a tribe of other children, mm-hmm. Uh, we lived in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I developed a Southern accent really fast because as a child you're like a sponge and you just absorb what's around you, and um, it was just amazing. It was I loved it then. I mean, I wasn't obviously aware of the full lifestyle of the South, but um, I loved Tennessee. I loved the openness of it, and uh, the kids were were friendlier. When I when we moved back to Central Florida, which is where we ended up moving from there, uh, immediately the kids were like just kind of meaner and mm. and less open and we moved into a subdivision that had a wall around it and uh you know it just everything changed like uh, my entire like I always say that that's when I became depressed like um, <laughs> that's when I, I first learned depression <laughs> you know it's,
0: it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and I think about it a lot every summer obviously because we live in Phoenix and um it's terrible because uh, I grew up in the Midwest mm. and we don't have walls where i grew up yeah like you know where your property line is based on the tree or like yeah. we had um on our property line it's like uh, they're they're like these it's basically a picture like a christmas ornament like those big bulbs yeah and it's like a cement platform that you put the gazing ball on yes i've seen those uh, okay <laughs> yeah so we had like one of those on one side and then the other side i forget what the dividing line was it was like this little bump or tree yeah. stump yeah and so that's your your property line right and um We lived; our backyard was a lake, and it sounds to people who didn't grow up like in the Midwest or the South, it sounds really bougie when I say, "Oh, like we lived on the lake and we had more than one boat." But like we weren't wealthy. My mom's a nurse; my stepdad was a factory worker. It's just in the Midwest, you own a boat—that's what you do, right? Yeah. And so uh, every summer, like my heart kind of hurts, or there's like a there's like um almost like a like a loss, like a like a I don't know like a bro- it's like a broken heart almost like yeah. like it i don't know uh, if someone you love dies like in your heart mm. just hurts and yearns for them like that is how i feel every summer for, <laughs> for home yeah um because moving from there to here where everything is tan and there's what like
1: walls everywhere there's
0: you have uh, yards are small you have block walls around them mm. you have a small front yard but no one hangs out in their front yard no And so it's it's weird and oppressive, um, and it's uh it's almost unsettling. And I I had some depression issues dating back to like age seven. I just Mm. whatever, um, but uh, we my listeners know as a stepdad. Uh, that sucked and things were not great at home so that could have just been that sure um but there definitely was a change in me when we moved out here because to go from openness and greenery to feeling literally boxed in yeah people who've always lived in a house if you were to put them in an apartment yeah it is a very different feeling it changes Mm. you and um i've listened to I don't know. It's like invisibilia or hidden brain or something. And it was a study about how just 10 minutes of a day of looking up at greenery um, Mm. increases your serotonin and reduces cortisol. Sure. And so they're like, if you live somewhere where there are trees, like don't just look at the ground or look at your phone when you're walking from your car into your office. Like they interviewed someone who worked on a college campus and they said like, yeah, no, now after I conducted this study, I go out in the courtyard, I look up, I make it a point to see because your brain, we're animals. And so your brain knows whether or not you're in the environment that you're supposed to be in. Right. If you put a... It's cockroaches scurry when you turn on the light because they know they need to be in the dark. Yeah, and so like there are these primitive impulses that are sensing your surroundings and telling you whether this is good or bad. <laughs> right. And people think that we're like beyond this, and no. so like <laughs> if you work in a gray office under fluorescent lights and you're depressed, it's your fault. There's something wrong with you, not yeah. like there's something wrong, but there. It, it like is, buck up, idiot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> buck know? up, idiot. Take your pills. <laughs> yeah. But like,
0: it's not you. Like, we are animals and we are affected by our environment. And so, like, living in a tan wasteland with no (laughs) greenery. Yeah. um, I've even, like, looked at lots of property in, like, northern areas of Arizona to be, like, which northern. Because there are places in Arizona with mountains and greenery and and it snows. And be, like, could I afford to buy a plot of land, like, to develop later just because I need to figure out my life. So that, you know, by the age of 40, I'm somewhere green mm. because I, I've, it, it would genuinely af- like affect my mental state to a degree that would be like, if I stay in Arizona, I'm probably going to die at 60. And if I go somewhere green, <laughs> I might make it to 80. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I honestly feel like my longevity would be affected by moving uh, somewhere where I could be around nature more um, yeah. because it, it it's just good for you. And so like, uh, these tales of people interacting with the earth and making their own food and like whatever I'm like god yeah that that sounds much more healthy to me
1: yeah agreed um, even just being in a uh, uh, new Smyrna beach was great because the ocean obviously is a huge natural force mm-hmm. and um, my uh, my sister my brother-in-law uh, like I said they have a, a it's a beach condo and then um, my brother-in-law has two sisters, and her and them and their husbands, they rented the condo next door.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, so
1: they were all sitting so there, and they have kids, and then my, niece, my nieces were all playing together, which is nice because they left me alone because they were all playing with each other. But like one of, uh, so I guess my brother-in-law's brother-in-law, I don't know what you call that guy, but um, he, <laughs> we call him Mickey, <laughs> but uh, he um, was, he's a big fisherman, and he was fishing off the beach the whole time we were there. He had like three poles that were kind of like in these PVC pipes on the, on the sand. And he was like pulling fish in from the ocean and then taking it inside and like frying it up and then bringing it out on paper plates. Oh my God. So yes. it's like seeing like the fish come out of the water and then being presented to me like 15 minutes later and I'm eating it. And it's like, this is the best thing I've ever tasted in my life. Yeah, Like it was so good, you know? And you just feel like there's a certain, I don't know. You, you just feel like, Like this is normal, like this is this is what it's supposed to be. Like this is this is life, you know, this is the life cycle. It was Uh, it was really good. It was a really good feeling.
0: There's an indescribable, actually, probably people who are better with words can describe it, but there is (laughs) there's an indescribable feeling that happens that you when you know that things are right. Yeah. Like when you meet that person that you are supposed to be with, like it feels right. When you are in that place where you are supposed to be, it feels right. And so, like, sitting on the beach, your feet in the water, you're eating fresh fish, like, you're going to have that feeling where you're like, this is right. Yeah. And then there's that feeling when things are wrong that, like, I feel like everyone lives with. That, like, low-grade, mm. this isn't right. Every yeah. day when you're driving to work to a job that you don't like in yeah. an office doing something that isn't even really tangible. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. and... Um, I've said it to several people because I, I crashed my car last week. I go, I've been in three car accidents in my life where I was at fault. Hmm. And all three of them were while I was on my way to work.
1: <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> I, I've never gotten in a car
0: accident, on vacation, on a day off. Yeah. I've ne- That's <laughs> never happened. Three times that I've at fault been in a car accident, I was driving to work. Yeah. And so I think that is a, um, a very like obvious representation of that feeling that we all live with when we uh, my mom said when she was walking down the aisle to marry my dad like she knew it was wrong.
1: Oh wow. Yeah.
0: Which I she I was too young when she told me that. Yeah. But, like <laughs> there is an inherent feeling when things are right and when things are wrong. And yeah. so I think, you know, as as America's auntie, I want to let you know like if there's something going on in your life that you that feels bad it doesn't feel right maybe it's not you like if yeah. you dread seeing your family for the holidays or you there's certain things that you dread. Maybe it's because your family sucks. Maybe it's because your job sucks. And I'm not saying you got to go mm. around angry all the time. Like my job sucks. Mm-hmm. But like you can acknowledge like, oh, it's not me. It's this situation. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's, I mean, that's the feeling I have living in Phoenix where it's a, f- it's, it ain't right.
2: <laughs>
1: Shit ain't right. <laughs> There's a book on uh, fear. I can't remember the name oh, of it. Oh,
0: yes. Um, uh, the Gift of Fear. The
1: Gift of Fear, yes. yeah. So I read, like, a Amazon sample of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the whole thing, but uh, it, it blew me away because basically in the first chapter, he's talking about, uh, you know, he describes, uh, the author is like a former, I think he's a police officer or security guy. I don't, he runs a security consultant company, you know, but... Um, the book is about how our, our fears, those feelings of things not being right, we should listen to those. Mm-hmm. Um, and he opens the book with a story of this woman that she lived in New York and she was like, uh, you know, had one of those apartments where you go into like a vestibule and then there's another door you unlock to go upstairs into the apartments. And when she opened the outer door. There was a guy standing in the vestibule and she had groceries in her hands. And he was like, oh, can I help you with that? And and her first instinct was like I don't like this guy like this isn't right like I don't you know I don't and there was nothing about him physically that said like you know he didn't it's like he had like some kind of crazy tattoo on his face and was like dripping blood from his mouth you know what I mean just like a normal guy you know what I mean but she just was like uh, no and she and her she was like no I don't I don't need your help I'm fine and he's like ah uh, you're one of those. Ladies that's, like, too, uh, you know, uh, whatever, too, you know, too independent to accept help from a man, like, but it's no big deal. I can help you with a bag of groceries. And the whole time she's just like, uh. So she didn't want to seem rude, so she's like, well, whatever, and gives him the bag, and then, of course, unlocks the door, and he follows her upstairs. Long story short, she, uh, he rapes her mm-hmm. uh, and tries to kill her, but she narrowly escapes. So, um, and the whole point of that is, like, that first instinct where you know something's wrong means it is wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to listen to that, you know. And and society is constantly telling us, just be polite and go with the flow, you know, (laughs) and work a job you hate and get attacked. (laughs)
2: You know? Yeah,
0: and, like, yeah, like, if if you have bad feelings, they're you. And I'm constantly, yeah. as someone with, like, a history of mental illness, I acknowledge that my feelings are not always correct, right? Yeah. And so I'm constantly taking my pulse because I don't want to – part of my meditation and spiritual practice is, like, detaching from my reactionary brain yeah. and acknowledging, like, that I am not my thoughts. I am the one observing my thoughts and, and then analyzing whether – or analyzing <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> or to, analyzing, way <laughs>
1: to every person who goes sydney's really smart i just said analyzing i'm a
0: fucking idiot um but um i'm always analyzing you know okay so you're having this thought you're having this feeling is it valid is it accurate mm-hmm. should you act on it because those are very different steps like yeah. you can have valid feelings but don't act on them you know like you can hate your mom don't punch your mom yeah um like just so and every step uh asking yourself like instead of number one doubting yourself which we do a lot especially i think as a woman i doubt myself Mm. a lot um because i want to be accommodating and my history of codependence like leads me to prioritize other people's thoughts or opinions or emotions above mine Mm. i am now in recovery from that so uh but like um, What was I going to say So yeah like learning to tr- Not not immediately trust your gut But go hey my gut is telling me something Yeah um, And maybe that's a book that we can read And talk about on this show um, Oh good idea w- You know we'll start McNulty's book club Because I'm just hey. I'm wrapping up American Fire right now Yes um, But Because uh, you and I have two very similar interests Which is like the, the travel and, and lifestyle stuff And also the psychology stuff Yeah um, so maybe we'll circle back around to that. Um, I want to do an episode about, uh, emotions being contagious. Cause there's a thing called mm. micro expressions where yeah. like your brain reads, someone can be smiling, but there's micro expressions of like anger or sadness and your brain yeah. picks them up. Even if like you aren't aware of it and there, that oh, mood sure. is contagious and it's a newer field of research in psychology. And so this uh, I listened to an interview a couple of years ago with this couple who they do. They're both therapists and they do therapy together mm-hmm. um, for patients. And there was this one patient who every time they left, they were like, yeah, it, nothing we talked about today was depressing. But I just feel really bad right now. And the mm. other therapist was like, I do, too. And then they started this field of research into micro expressions. Mm. And then they realized, like, you know, our whole career we've been telling people like. You know work on this relationship with this person like it's you it's you that's there's something wrong with you that you're getting Mm. bummed out every time you hang out with this person or that this person's making you angry and then they're like now we have to rethink it because like maybe it is valid that when they're around this person they get angry (laughs) yeah they're picking up up that other person's anger even though it's not on the surface Um, And so that is interesting. The idea that moods are, moods are contagious. And and then it says a lot for like, you know, cutting people, not, some people are crazy where they're like, I cut people out. Fuck that bitch. Like, not like that, but being like, yeah, well, maybe this isn't the best person for you to have in your life. Or maybe you shouldn't work harder to fix this because it just isn't fixable because you're, you're catching their mood. So
1: I'm a very friendly person who can find common ground with almost anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are occasionally people that I meet that I'm like, I just don't like this person. And um, I don't really I don't try to fight it. I'm just like, no, I'm just not going to be I'm not rude to them. But it's like, I don't want to be around you. You know what I mean? So it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't know what it is. And a lot oftentimes it's like someone that, you know, it's maybe someone I work with or whatever. And you're like, there's nothing outwardly wrong with this person. They're not hostile or mean um, they don't smell bad, you know what I mean? It's just, but it's just like I just don't like There's you. Just
0: something, yeah, in and, the water, and
1: um, and what I have found, uh, in my years is that a lot of times those people end up, like, f- like somehow fucking up their life. Like they get fired, you know, or they do something really terrible that I hear about later. You know what I mean? And I'm all like, hmm, I, am I just the smartest person in the world, or I'm just really good at like listening to myself? So, sometimes, yeah. you know, not always. I'm not, but. When there's when there's enough distance between me and a person where it's like, it doesn't matter if you're in my life or not, you know, you're not a, a member of my family or whatever, mm-hmm. I can easily just be like, no, I don't like you, yeah. you know what I mean? And then, yeah, like I said, it usually ends up that person is not a great person yeah <laughs> so yeah
0: yeah trust your gut it's weird man move yeah. to the south and trust your gut that's a that's how play. we'll
1: encapsulate this episode yeah <laughs> move move to the gut and trust your south yeah uh, i, I trust it. myself uh, always Always trust my south if it ain't important if because my south if it ain't pointing north then, <laughs> <laughs> then we know it ain't right hey if my south ain't pointing to my gut <laughs> Then I don't need you in my life. <laughs> oh my god, we just invented a whole new oh expression, so and I'm massively fun. excited about yes. it. <laughs> Scott's, Scott's dick is now the new emotional sundial. <laughs> if you don't know what to do, if you can't, if you're having trouble
0: making making a decision, just ask Scott's dick, and he'll let you know.
1: <laughs> hey Scott, I'm thinking about moving to Mississippi. That makes my south point to my gut, so I say yes. <laughs> do that <laughs>
0: oh. alright well happy hump day everyone
1: indeed uh, and uh, to scott hashtag fan favorite <laughs> that's all <laughs>